0: As we continue our series in the book of Jonah, we have just started the second half of the book. Uh, The book has four chapters, and it neatly divides into two parts. Chapter 1 and 2 are about God's call uh, to Jonah to preach in Nineveh, and Jonah disobeying. Uh, We call that backsliding and going away from God, going in the opposite direction. And God healing his backslidings by bringing him to the point, the school of the whale's belly, where he is utterly dependent on God again. Salvation is of the Lord. And then, chapters three and four, the second half, God's call comes again to Jonah. That's what we looked at last time. The God of the second chance. And this time, Jonah. Has learnt the lesson, and he goes to Nineveh, and he uh, is in the place, the good place, of uh, walking with the Lord. He's probably uh, humbler, poorer, uh, and health-wise much more broken, but he's in a good place, and that is what is vital for us as believers is are we in a good place? It may mean outwardly things are not going well for us, but in our soul we are in a good place. So this evening we're going to start looking at what happens when Jonah arrives in Nineveh. I've just got three things in the tradition of Welsh nonconformist preaching, three points to bring uh, to you. And the first is this revival city, revival city. What Nineveh experiences under the preaching of Jonah is one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the history of the world. Now, I'm sure somebody at home will pipe up. How can we have a revival, which means uh, a movement of the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured upon the church? That's a very good question. But I'm saying this is a revival, a great revival, because... God is here pouring his Spirit, and you've got uh, outpourings of the Spirit in the Old Testament, not to the same extent as on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost inaugurates the uh, age, the dispensation of the Spirit, which we are still living in. But in the Old Testament, uh, there were foretastes of that. So some of the revivals, the awakenings that the children of Israel experienced, uh, would be a movement of the Spirit. But here, what makes it an amazing revival is that it's not Israelites, but Gentiles that are being worked upon by here in Nineveh. Now, certain commentators, even good commentators like Keller, don't see this as a work of revival. They don't see the people of Nineveh as being truly converted. But I think it goes against the details in the chapter, as we'll see this evening and, God willing, the next time we're in Jonah. So here is God pouring his spirit upon a Gentile people. And then, of course, uh, here is an outpouring of the spirit before uh, the New Testament. And then somebody might ask, all right, even if it is an awakening a move of the spirits why very soon after a generation or so after did the people of nineveh the assyrians why did they turn against the children of israel and attack them if it's a work of the spirits why didn't it last well that's a good question but aren't every revivals a delicate work And usually, by one generation, the effects of that work are already uh, weaker. And sometimes you have places that were mightily shaken by the Spirit. A generation later, they are gospel-hardened. Think of our own revival here in Wales in 1904. Uh, It didn't take uh, very long uh, for the churches Uh, to uh, uh, be uh, emptied uh, by uh, liberal theology. So the fact that a generation uh, changes the effect of the revival uh, doesn't prove that it wasn't genuine. So revival city, uh, this is what we see happening in Nineveh. And brothers and sisters, don't we need... Uh, An outpouring of the Spirit of God in our day. Uh, If it was true before lockdown, it's even more true now because the Holy Spirit isn't confined uh, to uh, lockdown and to buildings. And uh, I'm praying uh, that the Lord will revive us, His people, so that through us. Our country will experience something uh, that Nineveh experienced under Jonah's preaching. Now, still on this first point of uh, Revival City, I want uh, to look at some of the terms that are used here. So, if you can pick up your Bible in chapter 3, and I want you to look at how Nineveh is described. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a great city. Uh, By that word great, uh, it could be translated, it was a big city. It's interesting how God often sends his servants to some of the largest cities in order to bring revival there so that the effects of that revival spread then to the hinterland, the countryside around uh, the city. And uh, Nineveh uh, was three days' journey uh, in order to travel around. What does that mean? Uh, One possible meaning is that it was part of a metropolis. A metropolis is a collection of cities, and there were about four cities in this part of the world, in Jonah's day. So it could mean that, or it could mean that it would take about three days to explore the city. And if you go on holiday somewhere, uh, and if it takes you about three days, a long weekend, uh, to explore the city, you can get some uh, understanding of the size of Nineveh. Uh, It wouldn't be big in comparison to our cities today. But in Jonah's day, Nineveh, was the largest city in the world. And so it's a great city. God has a burden for cities. Uh, we had uh, Jeff Gobbett lecture us in Bible college on urban evangelism. Very important. Uh, here is a quotation I think God has a sense of humor. Uh, here's the great metropolis. Of the world, who does he send to this place? Uh, he sends a Jew, <laughs> uh, the man who grew up in the village of Gath Hefer. You you couldn't have uh, done it uh, in a greater way in terms of the contrast. Uh, this is how God often uh, works. Uh, the Country bumpkin from Gath Hefer, uh, being sent to the great metropolis of Nineveh. Uh, didn't our former pastor Vernon Hyam uh, think that uh, he was uh, coming from West Wales, from the countryside, from the villages, uh, to our great city of Cardiff? Uh, God moves in a mysterious way. And then there's something else about the word great city here. Uh, If you've got uh, footnotes in your translation, you may have uh, another word for great. It's possible to translate it not so much great in terms of size, but great in terms of significance. In other words, Nineveh was a city great to God, or to put it differently, It's God's city. God's city. Now, isn't that an astounding statement? A city of Gentiles referred to as God's city. Uh, Nineveh actually had a nickname. Uh, The people called it the city of blood. The city of blood because it was renounced uh, for its violence. Uh, That's what's Uh, Nineveh had a reputation for being a city of blood. But what we find in this revival is that the city of blood becomes the city of God. And it's not because of the response of the people to Jonah's preaching. Even before Jonah is sent there, even when Jonah as a backslider uh, refuses God's call in chapter 1, Uh, We still hear, chapter 1, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. God had Nineveh upon his heart, even though there wasn't one grain of merit. They didn't deserve the favor of God. But God's grace is such that the city of blood can become the city of God. Isn't that amazing? I've often referred to Wesley uh, going to preach in Newcastle. In the 18th century, Newcastle was, like Nineveh, renowned for its wickedness. And people, religious people, would say to Wesley, why do you want to go and preach there? It's it's a wicked city. And Wesley would answer, well, that's why. That's why. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he went to Corinth. Uh, He found himself there, and he was imprisoned there. And Corinth had a reputation uh, in Paul's day. To be a Corinthian meant that you lived a loose lifestyle, an immoral lifestyle. But what did God say to Paul? Do you know what he said when Paul was in prison in Corinth? I have much people in this city, a great city to God, God's City. I could give you another example, Anglesey. Uh, a lot of the 18th century revivals didn't go to Anglesey. It was bypassed. It was known as the Dark Isle. And then God sent his Jonas there. I'm thinking of John Elias and Christmas Evans. And in the 19th century, there was so much uh, re- of a revival upon Anglesey that it was said by the end of the 19th century That if you put a roof over Anglesey, it would be one big chapel. The dark isle becoming the island of God. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, Bull. It's Geoffrey Bull, as some of you uh, illuminated me uh, after the sermon last Sunday. Uh, I think this is speaking of Paul, his Lord who sent him. To that den, Corinth told him quite painly, I have much people in this city. Such, says Bull, and Bull was a missionary uh, and he was persecuted. Such is the marvel of God's mercy. He sees the sinner as the saint to be and in the foulest heathen race Claims an inheritance for Christ. In the purpose of God, the city of blood would be a city of God. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Revival city. Nineveh. Corinth. Cardiff. Where you are living. Don't we tend to get into a ghetto mentality? We have our holy huddles and we're afraid of taking the gospel out. My friends, desperate times are often God's times. Who knows whether the city, the town, the village that you are living in will become a place where god is about to pour his holy spirit upon his people and through that to affect the whole community revival city and then revival message don't you want another outpouring of the spirit it's been over a century since we last experienced a mighty revival in Wales, there was a move of the Spirit in the 1950s. Uh, that's what brought about the evangelical movement of Wales. And we're still feeling some of the effects of that today. But we can live on past experiences. We need a fresh outpourings of the Spirit. And what I want to ask is, what's the message that Jonah preached? in Nineveh, uh, that was used of God in revival. Uh, Let's look at what we have. Uh, If you turn again to uh, the verses, what was the subject of Jonah's preaching? Uh, You see, Jonah wasn't what we call a revival preacher. No, no, Jonah was an evangelist. An evangelist. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it. The message that I tell you. The message that I tell you. And then verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to what? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Jonah did not preach on the... Issues of the day. The word of the Lord. Jonah did not preach about politics. He would have had his own political views. The word of the Lord. Jonah didn't preach about himself. The word of the Lord. I came across this. uh, It's in John Piper's book on preaching that has come out recently and he's quoting a preacher uh, who was in First Baptist Dallas uh, where uh, he heard these words, when a man goes to church he often hears a preacher in the pulpit refresh everything that he has read in the newspapers, on the TV commentaries he hears That same stuff, over again, yawns and goes out and plays golf on Sunday. When a man comes to church, actually what he's saying is this, preacher, I know what the TV commentators have to say, I hear them every day, I know what the editorial writers have to say, I read them every day, I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God has anything to say, tell us what it is. May our church, may your church, be a place where we don't hear about the things that we hear about in the world and are regurgitated with a spiritual label. Oh, may our places be the place where the word is declared. Thus says the Lord. This is what Jonah's message is all about. Very important. When there's a revival, the word of God is prominent. Some of the weakest revivals have had less of an emphasis on Word. Maybe that's why the 0405 revival, in terms of its effect, was not as long-lasting as earlier revivals. Let's look at Jonah's message then. If the word of God is what is the subject of revivals in terms of the preaching, what's the message? Well, if you read the verses, it's quite astounding. What did Jonah do? Verse 4: He began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, well, you say, what a short sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Jonah would have preached more than that. (laughs) What we have here is the gist of his message. And this is the first thing I want to say about the message that Jonah preached. And it's very relevant to our situation. Jonah preached first on the judgments of God upon these people. Uh, Another word for revival, and they use this of the revivals in North America during the 18th and 19th century, is awakening. Awakening. Now, what happens in a revival is the church is first awakened. It comes to her senses. And if there's an awakening ministry, then it must be an awakening message. And what message can be more awakening than to hear about God's imminent judgments? Uh, Read all the prophets, the true prophets that were sent of God, did not preach peace, peace, where there was no peace. They were faithful to the word. Imagine Jonah, this country bumpkin, this Jew, standing in the streets of this greatest city in the world, and not trying to connect to them, uh, using the kind of subjects that they were interested in, but declaring, the coming of God's judgment. What he's saying, in effect, is that the city of blood is the city of destruction. Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That's what Christian heard, first of all, that he was living in the city of destruction. Forty is very important. Forty. Uh, forty days. The flood prevailed. Noah's flood, that is. It's, A period of probation, 40. For 40 days, Moses lingered on the mount. God was testing the children of Israel below. For 40 years, God proved the children of Israel as they wandered in the deserts. He was putting them on test. For 40 days, Christ was tempted in the wilderness and he succeeded. After he rose from the dead, for 40 days, he taught his disciples before ascending into heaven. 40 days, symbolic of probation. Do you realize, like the people of Nineveh, you are in a period of probation? What do I mean by that? I mean this. Now is the day of God's salvation. And not just for conversion, but for us as the people of God. Now is the day of opportunity. When we die, it's too late. Man is appointed once to die. And after that, the judgment. There's no more opportunity. There's no more chances then. But in our lifetime, as we saw last time, we have opportunity after opportunity. Uh, sometimes God tests his people. I don't know. I said this morning if this coronavirus is a period of probation, a period of testing. And, oh, what we need to do is to respond to the Lord in the right way. You know, I'm frightened to mention this, but there are people who've heard the gospel time after time. God has been so gracious in giving them an opportunity to believe, and they've spurned him. And sometimes God says, enough is enough. You've had your time. And it can be like that, not in terms of judgments, but in terms of chastisements with the people of God. God will give us opportunities after opportunities to seek him. If we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. But what do we do? We're a bit like Jonah in chapter one. We just convince ourselves that God doesn't want what he wants, but what we want. You see, Jonah's message isn't what the people want to hear. It's the people dictating to the prophet then. Jonah is God's spokesperson, and he's preaching what the people need to hear. May I, as your pastor, be a man of God. The fear of man brings a snare, a trap. May I preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But it's not just judgment, is it, that Jonah preaches. We're going to look at this next time. He's telling the people of Nineveh uh, to turn from their sins. We call that repentance. And to turn to God. Now, that implies salvation. And there's something else. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus Christ said, That Jonah didn't just preach a verbal sermon, but that Jonah was himself the sermon. The sign of Jonah. He said the people of Nineveh repented at the sign of Jonah. Do you know what the sign of Jonah is? We've already looked at it a number of months ago. The sign of Jonah was being three days in the belly of the whale and then being vomited out. What was that a sign of? It was a sign of the death of the greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ. Dying in our place. This is where the wrath, the judgment of God, uh, comes to the fore. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, where the burden of my heart rolled away. How do I know God judges sin? I know it because he had to judge his only begotten son, because he was hanging there, dying for my sin. And then because he paid the penalty, death could no longer hold him captive and he was raised again for our justification. The resurrection being God amening the work of his son, the sign of Jonah, judgment, yes, Boanerges, the son of thunder. But preaching that is only judgments is not enough. There's got to be evangelius, the gospel, the good news of salvation from judgment because of what Jesus Christ has done. Interesting, isn't it? Jonah didn't preach on revival. Read about some of the greatest revivals the world has experienced. You never read about men preaching on revival. In a sense, they're not even preaching on the Holy Spirit. They're lifting Christ up. Christ crucified, especially. And the Spirit is just using that. Their preaching is so plain. Uh, there was a little move of the Spirit in San Amlet the church where Brian Hyam was pastor in the 1980s. And a number of people were converted at that time. One of them is a pastor a retired pastor by now, and I talked to him once about that period, and he said that' interesting. I was just listening to some of the tapes of the sermons, and I couldn't understand why there was so much blessing because the sermons were so plain, there was nothing special to them. Well, that's it plain preaching of Christ and him crucified in the nineteen oh four o five revival. When it came to Amonford, there was a man, a great preacher, Nantleis, uh, in Bethany, Ammonford, uh, the Methodist chapel, the Calvinistic Methodists. And he preached the cross before the revival. But when the Spirit came upon him, he said this, before the revival, I preached an adorned cross. He would have poetry and quotations from literature and all of that. Once the Spirit came, he said, I preached an unadorned cross. That's it. Apostle Paul, again, to the Corinthians, I sought to know nothing among you. Paul could have won the arguments with the philosophers of Athens and of Corinth, but he says, I determined not to know nothing else, but." One subject, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. We sang, didn't we? Give me but Jesus, my Lord, crucified. Revival City, revival message. May we preach this combustible material of Christ crucified. The fire of the Holy Spirit can set it alight. And then thirdly and lastly, a revival method, a revival method. What did Jonah do? A look at the word again, chapter three. So Jonah arose, verse three, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. What did Jonah do? Did he spend time exploring the city, trying to understand the culture, maybe meeting with some of the powerful people Uh, identifying key people uh, that would be uh, of use uh, in spreading the gospel. We don't hear anything of the sorts. We're told on the first day, on the first day, it was as if he couldn't wait on the first day. He cried out and said the message that we have just explained. What do you see here? Well, the foolishness of preaching, I want to say first. The foolishness of it. Just standing on the streets of this great city. He didn't decide to do that. He was called of God. He was moved of the Spirit of God. But he stood. He stood. And he became a fool for Christ's sake. That's what Paul said. We must become fools for Christ's sake. Are we willing to become fools once again? I don't mean by that, that we do silly things, but that we don't use the methods of the world. E.M. Bounds, very famous quotes, men look for better methods. That's what the world wants. God is looking for better men, better women. Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit are God's methods and so here he preaches as we noted a simple christ-centered message and god is using and then look at how he does it it's always preaching that you find in revival preaching the church as it were uh, has its priorities right I think this lockdown is causing us to rethink a lot of the things we've been doing and taking for granted over the years what are our priorities we need to come back to simple declaration of the word of God relying on the power of the spirits uh, Paul came in weakness to the Corinthians and in Fear, and in much trembling, he declared the testimony of God. And then look at the manner of Jonah. What did he do? He cried out. He cried. He's burdened. Are we burdened? Burdened. Because people are heading for a lost eternity. Are we burdened? for loved ones are we burdened for the state of the church jeremiah the weeping prophets said oh that my face or my head were waters that's how much he wept for the states of the church I discovered this uh, quotation by the great George Whitfield, who was one of the greatest preachers. He experienced many revivals and he was an evangelist. And this is what he said, referring to the previous century. Uh, people would tell Whitsfield off, why do you get so animated in your preaching? Why, why do you bawl? Why do you shout? And he says, I'll tell you a story. The Archbishop of Canterbury in the year 1675 was uh, acquainted with a Mr. Butterton, an actor. And the Archbishop said to this actor, this is old English now, pray inform me, Mr. Butterton, what is the reason you actors on stage can affect your uh, congregation, as it were, with speaking of things imaginary? as if they were real, while we in church speak of things real, which our congregations only receive as if they were imaginary. Why, my Lord, says Butterton, the reason is very simple. We actors on stage speak of things imaginary, as if they were real, and you in the pulpits speak of things real as if they were imaginary. And Whitfield said, therefore, I will (laughs) bore. I will not be a velvet-mouthed preacher. Jonah, like Whitfield, didn't have a word-perfect presentation of what Nineveh needed to hear. He came in weakness and in fear and in trembling, I'm sure. What was on his heart was salvation to the Lord. That was the new song God had put in him. That's what he'd experienced. And he's simply bearing witness to these people who deserve God's judgment as he, as we do. And is telling them, look, you can turn to a God of grace, a God who delights to forgive where forgiveness is not deserved. And the Spirit of God is using that plain message and many in Nineveh are affected and come to believe in the Lord. This is not just the word being preached. It is. Christ is being lifted. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon the word. Yes, we're indwelt by the spirits as believers. And we're in a more privileged position than Jonah. But we still need an outpouring of the spirits. That used to be our logo when we were in the Presbyterian Church, an open Bible and the dove of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Bible. This is unction, that's what we call it, or anointing, anointing. Don't you long for that? Uh, Bounds again. He defines unction. It is the indefinable in preaching which makes it preaching. It is that which distinguishes preaching From all mere human addresses, it is the divine in preaching. And it doesn't just refer to preaching. It can refer to our singing of God's praises, to the public reading of the word, the praying. It's the human being lifted into the divine. And you know what? That's what we need more than anything. Tozer called the Holy Spirit the forgotten one. And if he was forgotten in Tozer's day, he's even more forgotten. Third person of the Blessed Trinity in our day. And we don't want to draw attention to the Spirit, because the Spirit doesn't want that. He draws attention to Christ. But oh, don't we need to pray? As we started the meeting, oh, that's where it begins an urgency a burden oh that thou god would rend the heavens tear them open and come down in the power of your holy spirits i believe we're missing something uh, in our evangelical scene today A dimension is being forgotten. And we keep on thinking, don't we, that we need more workers or something. And a church of our size needs workers. And I'm so grateful to the Lord uh, for the godly men and women uh, that He has given uh, to us. And there's nothing wrong in that. But woe be to us if we are delegating. To workers, what every one of us should be doing. In the book of Acts, which is the history really of the church in miniature, the gospel which Jonah preached spread like wildfire around the Roman world, not just because of the preaching in the power of the Spirit of the apostles, but because ordinary Christians were bearing witness to their Saviour. Do you know, maybe Jonah did say, and he was the sign of Christ, and maybe he just said, yet 40 days and Nineveh uh, shall be destroyed. Well, a sentence spoken in the power of the spirits can do more than sermon after sermon, worker after worker, method after method, devoid of the Spirit. I've mentioned a few revivals in the sermon tonight, and I want to close by mentioning one revival which Sinclair Ferguson mentions in his commentary on Jonah. People keep on asking me about what's the best commentary on Jonah, and there isn't one that I can say is the best. They're all good, and they're all different. So Sinclair Ferguson's commentary, he mentions an 1859 revival in Northern Ireland in a place called Coleraine in County Derry, and do you know how this started? A schoolboy, a schoolboy, under deep conviction of sin, seemed so incapable of continuing his studies that the teacher sent him home in the company of another boy, already converted. On the way home, the two boys noticed an empty house and entered it to pray. At last, the unhappy boy found peace. He saved. And returned immediately to the classroom to tell his teacher. And this is all he said. I am so happy I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. The spirit used that sentence. This innocent testimony had its effect on the class. The school. Was affected. Many were converted. The whole community was affected by the sentence of a boy that had just been converted. Praise God. Maybe some of you listening have come to study in Cardiff and you feel overawed at being a Christian. Among the masses of people who are not, one sentence used of the spirits is enough. In school, one sentence, used of the spirits In work, at home, praise God that we have one who is all-powerful and oh, that we would know revival in our city, revival messages, and that we would have a revival method for his name's sake. Amen. We're now going to pray uh, by singing a hymn, and there are hymns praying to the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. You have uh, such prayers uh, in the Word, and it's spirit of faith, come down, reveal the things of God. And even though it's a prayer to the Spirit, the role of the Spirit is to make Jesus Christ real. So let's sing Spirit of Faith. Amen. Mm-hmm. Pray the grace together, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.